Okay. This morning we're in the book of Romans, continuing our study in the book of Romans. Romans 14, verses 1 to 6. The title of this morning's message is, Who Are You to Judge? Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he, who give, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat. And gives God thanks. Amen. Who are you to judge? And as I was thinking about and praying about this message, the thought came to my mind that even the message may cause you to judge. (laughs) Also, this passage has been sermonized very often and taken out of context. And I want us to understand the context of this message. And I'm going to be looking at this message specifically about what Paul writes and not to try to interpret it to something else I think that it says. So as we go along, I think you'll understand uh, what I'm talking about. Today we're in what I would call the third application chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 1 to 8 explains the gospel, the good news of God. Uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11 speaks all about Israel and the role of Israel in God's plan to reclaim his kingdom on earth, both past, present, and future. But now we're in Romans 14, and the theme of this book is the same as the theme that was in the last two chapters. Basically, You're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But the specific issues discussed here is how we can hold it together when some people are so different from other people. Have you ever noticed that, that we're not all alike? Has anybody ever praised God that we're not all alike? Has anybody ever wondered what an orchestra would sound like if there was only one instrument but 25 of them? as opposed to 25 different instruments, all in harmony, playing all their wonderful parts. What a glorious chorus that is, and what a boring song it would be if we had nothing but trumpets. Although, Fred, I really liked your trumpet blast. And boy, I can't wait till the 12th month, brother. (laughs) The way that Paul sums up the difference here in this chapter is that some are weak in the faith, weak in the faith, while others are 
strong in the faith. Strong in the faith. And you can see the difference or the reference to the difference here in verse 1. Quote, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. If you go a little forward in the book of Romans, you see it again in Romans 15, 1, where Paul writes this. We then who are strong, or strong in the faith, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, or those who are weak in the faith. As a matter of fact, in Romans, there's another parallel in the beginning of chapter 14 and the beginning of chapter 15. The command is to receive each other in both chapter 14 and chapter 15. In chapter 15, you find it in verse 7. So the entirety of chapter 14 and the beginning of chapter 15, all the way up to verse 13, is dealing with the danger of division in the body of Messiah that can happen because of differences between the weak in the faith and the strong in the faith. And so in light of that, I think it's really important to understand the difference between what it means to be weak and what it means to be strong. And it's probably not what you think it is. So let's look at it. Let's start by asking what it means to be weak in the faith and what it means to be strong in the faith. And then let's see how Paul says that we are to treat each other when we have these differences. Weak in the faith, strong in the faith, differences of opinion, but not in essentials. And then finally, we'll look at the foundations that Paul gives for this kind of loving, non-judgmental behavior. You ready? Let's go. So what does Paul mean by being weak in the faith? Well, specifically, what Paul writes about in these verses are those who are weak in the faith and don't eat meat or drink wine. You remember the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? I love it. What do you mean you don't eat meat? Okay, we'll have lamb. Well, that's not what (laughs) Paul is talking about here. We see that in this verse, in verse 2, regarding meat, and and in later verses, which is verse 21, we'll see that wine is also added to the equation. Meat and wine. The weak in faith don't eat meat or drink wine. The strong in faith do. Also, we read this. It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine, nor do anything by which your neighbor stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So what's Paul saying here? I think what he's saying is that the strong in, to the strong in faith, he's saying this, is that there are times when you need to deny yourself meat and wine for the sake of the weak who don't eat meat or drink wine. As a side, there are times when we have to deny ourselves from doing a lot of things that we consider okay for the sake of a brother or the sake of a sister. And so for the first thing that we see here, that's the first thing that we see here about the weak and the strong. The weak avoid meat and wine, and the strong are free to eat meat and to drink wine. Second thing that we see in these verses is the avoidance of meat and wine, that is the practice of the meek, the weak, is not sin, but is God-exalted behavior. What? You mean the weak in faith, when they exercise their weakness, are still experiencing God-exalted behavior? 
Yes. Verse 1 says that they're acting in weak faith, not in no faith. And there's a difference. In fact, the practices of the weak are faith-driven practices. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 23. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Dear ones, Paul here does not accuse the weak of sinning. They are, in fact, acting from faith, albeit a weak faith. And faith is God-centered. Faith is God-exalting. Faith is a frame of reference and an attitude of the heart that people express when they believe in the God of creation. The other reference and evidence that the abstinence of the weak is God-exalting is found in verse 6. Let me read it again. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats to the Lord, for he, he, he eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. So please see in these verses how much credit Paul gives to the weak brother who won't eat meat or drink wine. You see, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. The weak in faith are giving honor to the Lord and giving thanks to God. Now think about it. Is this what you think of when you think of weak? My guess would be no. Well, thirdly, as I've read in some commentaries, the weak brothers are not legalists. The weak brothers' abstinence from meat, the weak brothers' desire not to drink wine, is not because he or she believes that this behavior is the way he gets justified or the way that he secures his acceptance with God. This weak brother is not like the Judaizers in Galatia who thought that circumcision was essential to securing acceptance from God. How do we know this? Well, we know this because Paul was furious with this false faith in gospel in the book of Galatians. But here, he gives no criticism of these weak-in-the-faith brothers like he did to those in Galatia. They're not legalists. They don't think that their abstinence earns them a place in heaven or contributes to their going to, to their obtaining salvation. And one more thing that we see in this abstinence of the weak, this abstinence from eating meat or drinking wine, is that they regard meat and wine in some sense as unclean or common. Verse 14 reads like this. I know and am convinced by the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything unclean, to him it's unclean. Now Paul wouldn't have written this if it was irrelevant to this situation. This was simply the view of the weak in faith, that eating meat and drinking wine was in some sense unclean. So why does Paul call them weak? I mean, what's weak about abstaining from meat and wine? Why does Paul call it weak? I think as we've discovered, it's based on faith. It's God-exalting. And it's expressing gratitude and thanks to God. It's not legalistic, so how is it weak? And maybe, just maybe, you're asking yourself right now if you're weak or strong in some category. Well, listen, Paul's not against the weak in faith. Quite the contrary. I believe he's thankful for the weak in faith 
Verse 1 says to receive them. Verse 3 says not to despise them. So what is their weakness? Well, I think that the answer to their weakness is the same as to why they consider eating meat and drinking wine as unclean. And if we could understand that, then we could see why he calls them weak. And so, if you will, my answer to this would be this. The weak regard meat and wine as unclean because they believe that in their minds, eating meat and drinking wine will not glorify God as much as abstaining from it will. Now, please understand, this is not a section, nor will the other verses that I reference be sections that talk about clean and unclean animals or kosher versus non-kosher. That's not the context nor the understanding of what's going on here. This was concerning eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. This was concerned drinking wine to overflow. Do you follow me? Okay, in the minds of the weak, there is something about meat and wine that makes eating and drinking it less honoring to God than, uh, 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 than, than abstaining. Look at the last part of verse 6. Here's what it says. He who does not eat to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. In other words, the weak in faith is making a choice on what he or she believes will most honor the Lord and express thanks to the Lord in the process. The weak in faith are good and well-meaning people. And the weak, these are good and well, and they make good and and well-meaning choices given their personal convictions. Why they believe this is not exactly stated by Paul, but what is important to understand, I believe, is that Paul thought they were wrong or weak in their convictions. Listen, he felt that the conviction about not eating meat or drinking wine because it was less honoring to God was in some way, shape, or form wrong. In other words, they lacked the knowledge that would strengthen them and liberate their faith. Not sinful, just wrong. Not a strong faith based on full understanding, but a weak faith based on limited understanding. You could almost say that they couldn't trust God with the joy of eating some meat or drinking some wine because they lacked some crucial knowledge. They knew God. They loved God. Yet there was something lacking in their understanding that would have strengthened their faith in these particular ways and in this particular area. So what's the obvious question? What knowledge did they lack? Well, Paul makes the connection, I think, between the lack of knowledge, lack of knowledge and weakness in 1 Corinthians 8, 6 and 7. While the situation is not exactly the same, it's similar to the one here in, in Romans. And this is what Paul writes, quote, For us there is one God, one God, the Father, the Father, of whom are all things, all things, and we for him. One Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, through whom all things, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, and here's the part, there is not in everyone that knowledge. 
What knowledge? One God, one Father, in whom are all things, and we are for him. One Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, through whom are all things and through whom we live. There are some in whom there is not that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Do you follow, or have I made it too complicated? In other words, they are God-honoring, God-thankful, God-glorifying, but because they don't understand the freedom we have in Messiah, and this is not grace taken to its ridiculous extreme. They don't understand the freedom that we have in Messiah to enjoy the things that God has made. They feel that abstaining from eating meat and abstaining from drinking wine somehow gets them closer to God. So there's a connection, if you will, between lack of knowledge and weakness. Between lack of knowledge and weakness. And this specific knowledge is that all creation is from God, through Messiah, for God. From God, through Messiah, for God. And lacking this knowledge... Eating and drinking certain things are viewed in and of itself as less honoring to God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 25 to 26, Paul puts it this way. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. By the way, dear ones, they didn't sell pork in the meat market. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. The earth is the Lord's. In all its fullness. In other words, the fullness of faith, the strength of faith, to eat what you will to the glory of God, is, is based on the fullness of knowledge that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Lacking this knowledge, and perhaps other knowledge as well, faith is limited in its exercise. In other words, they are weak in their faith. The strong, on the other hand, have a more full and complete understanding of God and his relationship to the world. And they're freed by this truth, freed to embrace more of God's creation, also in a God-honoring way. But don't make a mistake in your understanding of what is spoken of here. In the same way that the weak in faith are not self-exalting in their abstinence, in other words, yelling out to everybody else, I'm better than you, So the strong in faith are not self-indulgent in their liberty. In other words, saying, I can do whatever I want in Messiah because grace abounds all the more. Verse 6 is crucial in understanding this. Quote, he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. You see, in Paul's way of thinking, the weak and the strong are both God-centered people. They are both deeply thankful people. Their differences are about their convictions and what gives honor and glory to God. And even on this point, the differences are only related to non-essential things. Non-essential things things. And so we come to the question of application. 
and it's an important application question. How should we treat each other when we have these differences? I have a question. Does everybody in the room here agree on everything about practice? Well, then we just can't get along, can we? I had a wonderful talk with my son, Sam, the other day. I have lots of talks with my son, Sam, the other day. It's amazing. Sometimes he acts like an 18-year-old, and sometimes he thinks like a 40-year-old. I can't figure the guy out. He said to me, it's really sad that I can't have a political discussion with a friend of mine who doesn't agree with my position and have us still be friends. And the same holds for religious convictions. Why is it, unfortunately so, that if people don't agree with what we agree with, we cast them away and choose not to be friends with them? Well, how should we treat each other when we have these differences? I think Paul answers this question positively in verse 1 and negatively in verse 3. We're to be accepting of the weaker brother. And be sure not to get into debates about things that are matters of opinion or what's called doubtful disputations. Things like eating meat or drinking of wine or worship days and so on. And so the first and positive instruction that Paul gives us as to how the strong should treat the weak is to accept each other. Don't get into debates or arguments over things that are non-essentials to our faith. The negative way of saying it is in verse 3. Don't despise and don't judge. Don't despise and don't judge. Typically, the strong in faith will be tempted to despise the weak and to look down on them with a condescending and patronizing attitude. I've seen it. And unfortunately, in my past, I've modeled it. Paul does not do that here, and neither should we. And we should not judge each other. Neither the weak judging the strong, nor the strong judging the weak. Put simply, we're to accept each other. And Paul, I believe, gives three great truths to give a foundation for doing just that. Truth number one. God has accepted us in his son. Would you repeat that with me? God has accepted us in his son. The end of verse 3 reads like this, for God has received him. And the weak and the strong should receive each other. Why? Because God has received them both. Paul writes about this again in Romans 15, verse 7, quote, Therefore receive one another just as Messiah also received us to the glory of God. Dear ones, the great and awesome foundation for accepting one another is the fact that God has accepted us in his son. The weak and the strong alike both believe in the one who saved them. They are both accepted by God and Messiah. Should we not accept them, even with all their differences? Foundation number two, God is and will be their judge. Repeat that with me. God is and will be, say our, our judge. I'm reading from the beginning of Romans 14, 4. 
Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. My dear brothers and sisters, we will all, can you say that word with me? All give an account to our Father in heaven. Each of us has one and the same master. Husbands, your wives will give an account to him. Wives, your husbands will give an account to him. Employees, your employers will give an account to him. We will all give an account of our lives to him. And we don't need to lift ourselves up as God and judge on this earth. Let's just leave it to him. I mean, after all, he's a whole lot more qualified than we are. So first, we accept each other because God has accepted us. Second, we don't judge one another on these things because God is the ultimate and final judge. And third, God will make us all stand in the last day. Repeat that with me. God will make us all stand in the last day. Here's the second part of Romans 14.4. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, Paul goes beyond the statement that we as believers have a judge in heaven. He writes that every believer will be upheld in that judgment. Every believer will stand erect. Every believer will be accepted in the last day. We'll all stand glorious. We'll all stand vindicated. We'll all stand loved and forgiven and righteous and accepted in the last day in Messiah Yeshua, to which we should all proudly and loudly say, Amen. I love reading stories that are accompanying um, people's explanation of Scripture. I read this one story. I'm going to try to tell it. I hope I tell it as as good as the writer wrote it. It's a story of a man who goes to heaven. And what does he see in heaven? Well, the first person he sees is his mean third grade teacher. (laughs) Then he sees his next door neighbor who was always complaining to his parents about him over everything he did. Then he saw his first boss, you know, the one who fired him for no good reason. Then he saw the lying and conniving co-worker who got that valued promotion instead of him, even though he deserved it. And more people like that, and more people like that, and more people like that. And he finally got really frustrated, and he looked at the Messiah, and he said, Can I ask you a question? So he goes to Yeshua and asks him, Just what are all these people doing here? Messiah replies, Shh, be quiet. They don't know why you're here either. And as a bottom line, what is judging others all about anyway? What is it at its most basic form? What need does it fill? In its most basic form, it's a way to, be, to feel good or okay about yourself. In a way, the weaker brother is the one who can't be okay unless you agree with his opinion and convictions. So is the weaker brother really just about meat and wine? I don't think so. The weaker brother is the weaker brother because he doesn't understand the most important lesson about life and Messiah. And that is, when he is in you, and you are in him,
you are okay and you don't have to prove anything to anybody. It allows you to be non-judgmental. It allows you to be caring. It allows you to be loving despite the opposing convictions and opinions of the person you're dealing with. And I can tell you from history, I can tell you from experience, it's a lot easier to get along in life when you understand that. You let God be the judge. You let God be the convictor. Just worry about your own life and love your neighbor as yourself. Let us all say together, amen.